Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today, we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the gospel reading for the 14th Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. I'll read that in the English Standard Version. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. All right. In terms of context, I mean, you've got a a couple, it seems, Lucan themes, right? Like the, 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 the movement of the presence of God from the physical structure in Jerusalem, the temple, to Mary's womb and then to the person of Jesus. You have the unlikely recognition, uh, John the Baptist as a, a baby in Elizabeth's womb, he recognizes the presence of God, Jesus, uh, and, and yet there are others who you would think are better suited to recognize this, and yet they don't. What other kind of themes are kind of operating in the background as Jesus has set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem and on his way encounters these things? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it's a unique pair. It's a unique miracle to mm-hmm. Luke. The other, the other three don't record it, though. Luke does have the other healing of a leper, mm-hmm. um, the one who's told in a similar way to go give the gift of Moses. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a consistency between them. But this seems like, from a literary point of view, an expansion of that. Mm-hmm. Right. That was also in Galilee. Um, so, I mean, I think just, yeah, like you said, the, the kind of emphasis on foreigners or Gentiles, did you say that? that That's kind of Lucan. Yeah. With, within the immediate, I mean, that it just does seem like one thing after another in this part of Luke, yeah. right? There's parables, arguments with Pharisees, miracles. It's just kind of, it, it doesn't, I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't see its placement as particularly strategic or thematic. It's just sort of, another story, another piling on that mm-hmm. shows these things, right? now, the divinity of Jesus and his mercy. Now, is there any uh, significance to the fact that Jesus is kind of like traveling along the border between these these places? Well, I liked your translation, uh, in between. I thought that was pretty good. Um, in between Samaria and Galilee. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a completely legitimate, but... Uh, was a clever way. I would have probably, to, well, I mean, through the midst of, he was traveling through, 
But uh, anyway. Well, uh, Lenski yeah, I mean, does I, make a big deal of he's on the border. He's not going through Samaria the and then Galilee, but he's like l- right along the border. And this v- hmm. village that he enters into is uh, presumably like on the border, like just kind of in the middle. Yeah. I mean, there is something with this word certain, you know, mm-hmm. a certain village. Yeah. Um, even though we're not told which one it is, it's a real place and it's a, it's specific, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's unknown to us in a way. So yeah, I don't, I'm not, I didn't know that. I haven't read Lenski on this or if I did, it was so long ago. I've forgotten, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was, I don't know how, I, I don't know that it's, I liked it. How's that? I just liked yeah. it. I don't know how accurate it is. I mean, I don't know how it how driven that is by the exact vocabulary and context. Sure. Maybe there's more there than I know. But um whether it is or not, I still liked it. I thought it was a I thought it was poetically at, at least it's legitimate for sure. I'm not but it maybe it's maybe it's even required and I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I liked it as a vivid kind of way. So what is the I mean let me look what the New King James has. I was following along with the Greek text. Uh Oh, I'm in the, the wrong King chapter. James has okay. through the midst of. Yeah, through the midst of would be, to me, the most obvious or literal way to do it. Yeah, that's what it has here. He passed through the midst of. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyway. Anyway, I don't know. The border thing, I like it. I don't know. I don't think you can be too dogmatic about it, but that's often the place we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Um yeah, maybe maybe he's in neither. I mean, I kind of like this idea. What, why name? If he's passing through the midst of them, I mean, it does kind of make sense. He's he's sort of in and out of each one of them, or in neither one completely. Yeah, and maybe that's partially a kind of you know political maneuver. Um, you know, things are fuzzy in the borders, and if the Samaritans come for him, he mm-hmm. can slip over to Galilee, and if the Galileans come over him, I don't know. Well, that's where debates happen. Um, yeah, that's right. Too. I mean, that's where Lots arguments stuff, occur. Yeah on borders. Um, so, you know, who, who belongs to whom? And you've got this group of people that kind of don't belong anywhere. Yeah. It's both, it's both exclusive and inclusive. Yeah. Right? There, there's a sense in which this is the dividing line, but at the same time, it's where the things are blurry. Yeah. You know, if you live, if you live on the border between, if you live, you know, in fact around here, cause we're like, uh, or I grew up in uh, what we used to call it. They called it Michiana because mm. we we're on the very we we're five miles from the border of Indiana and southern Michigan. And it was like there was this idea that we belonged to neither Michigan nor Indiana, and the same thing of the northern Indiana people. Mm-hmm. Not that it was Samaria and Galilee, but I think that's common in within the United States on these kind of you know half the people in our town worked in Indiana, half yeah. the people working in our town lived in Indiana. I mean, it was, anyway. It is an interesting, uh, an interesting thing to ponder that where the line is, the lines are blurred. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet at the same time, the lines are more important, right? right? I mean, you've got both things at the same time. There's mm-hmm. a blurring, but there's also a stronger distinction. So that is kind of I've never thought about that before, but now, but I think we should be how, done thinking about it. Well, I mean, how does that apply then to those who have been excluded based on the fact that they have this disease? Does that? Yeah, yeah. This is this. I think super interesting. So the because I never noticed this before today, but the uh, 
in the beginning, they're just 10 leprous men. Yeah. Right? There's mm-hmm. no there's no racial distinction made between them. They're all the same. Mm-hmm. They're they're in the same state. They're, they they offer the same prayer and they get the same cleansing. And it's only uh, later, right, when one of them returns and gives thanks, uh, you know, and falls down on his face and worships God at the feet of Jesus. Only then is it said, and he was a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the mouth of Jesus, he's called a foreigner. I love this word. He's not called a Gentile. Uh, he's called an allogenes, which means other other born, mm-hmm. right? Or differently born. So it's I don't know if it's I don't know if it's more mean than Gentiles. I can't tell. Well, uh, isn't this the term that is used where in the court of the Gentiles? Like Oh, is that what it's called in the, the uh yeah, the they're ha- called allogenes there, not ethne? Right. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Okay. So that, well, that that's nice. This I marks. The temple then. Yeah. Yeah. This marks the area where those who are not Jews must remain. Okay. So that's isn't, not isn't called that ethne. It's called. I don't know. I believe you. I, I didn't. I mean, it's always translated or talked about as the court of the Gentiles, not the court of the foreigners. Mm-hmm. Right. Gentiles is the word nations, and but anyway, I mean. In some sense, they mean the same thing, obviously, but mm-hmm. it seems like Gentiles is loaded with religious distinction, right? Yeah. What makes you a, a Gentile is you don't worship the right God. Um, mm-hmm. What makes you other born is sort of, in some ways, harder to overcome, I think. That's, that's my sense. It's more distancing, but maybe I might have that backwards, actually. Um, maybe it's more gentle. I don't know. I don't like the word foreigner in English. It sounds mean to me, right? Really? To call someone a foreign Auslander, off <laughs> Deutsch. That's not, that's mean too, right? <laughs> um, what would you prefer, so alien? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, it does, don't you think for? I mean, to call someone a foreigner is very distancing. Well, what would in English? How would you speak of it? Uh, foreigner. I mean, I don't know how else to speak of it, but I'm just saying it has a kind of. It's not a kind word, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's. I don't know. I mean, it's not. What, if I wanted to, be, it's just a I, recognition that they're not members of this nation. Well, I guess. Okay, so I think it would be like it would be kinder to talk about them according to the nation to which they belong. Germans, oh, British, okay. English, Canadians. I mean, it seems like to just cast them, I, I, and maybe this, it, it just feels to me like it's a bit of a cold word. Well, okay. So this, I kind of follow what you're saying. So instead of like, if we see someone who is not a, uh, American, either by birth or by um, citizenship. citizenship, we would say they're German. Is that what you mean? Yeah, or, 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 or they're yeah, French. Be, yeah. They're French nationalists right. or something like that. And yeah. so, so to bring this up then, do you think that this is a further testing then of Jesus by saying that this is someone who is way outside by referring him to as a foreigner instead of saying just that he's a Samaritan? Again. No, I think... Um, yeah, I think though in the context, he's the word. The word, um, you know, the foreigner is actually. I mean, it's a cold word, but then Jesus says, "But he's the one offering glory to God," mm. which is the true duty of believers. Yeah, right. You know, yes. obedience, and so so he's actually 
I mean, I mean, he's setting up the contrast. He's not saying it in coldness. I mean, he's saying it in judgment against those who mm-hmm. were rightly born and are rejecting like Esau, yeah. right? Their birthright and their so. I mean, when he says it, I don't. That, so that's another interesting thing, though, because you did get the specificity of Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of Samaritan, a Samaritan is worse than a Gentile, right? Because the the specificity there is, you know, these are the heretics. These are the Jehovah's Witnesses of, of Israel, right? Yeah. I mean, these are people that use the nomenclature of the Bible and who claim Moses, but who built a temple in the wrong place and offer right, wrong sacrifices to a wrong God and yeah. who have mixed it. I mean, so they're not, they're worse than. So know, is, just is this Gentiles. a Lucan theme then that he points out, you know, kind of like the unjust steward. He's like, you know, yeah. even the sons of this world get it and you don't. Yeah. Even the, and the Samaritan. That, <laughs> yeah. The Samaritan that has mercy on the one fallen in the ditch. Right. Yeah. Again, you know, so, is, so yeah, I think so is this a way to point out shame to his own, not not just praising the foreigner, not just praising the Samaritan or the the sons of this world for their zealousness, but rather a, a way to highlight they get it. Why don't you? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say rather. I would say also, but yeah. right that yeah. Okay. So they're. Absolutely. This is, I mean, this is, I mean, certainly it's implied that the nine who do not return to give thanks do not have faith. It's, it's implied that they're Jews also, right? Because that's the point of the contrast. He was a Samaritan. Presumably they were not Samaritans. And, and then this foreigner, right? Presumably they were citizens rightly born, you know, into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I mean, absolutely, there's this um, this shame, but there's also so part of it is you people are not acting according to your true inheritance, um, and you have not received the gift that's been bestowed upon you so generously and abundantly. Yeah. At the same time, there's also the obviously the kind of opening that this kingdom is not exclusive to to those who are rightly born, um, and uh, you know it is being expanded, it is being opened, and. Mm-hmm. It is meant for others. Yeah. So, uh, just does have a comment on the Alagones, uh, which oh. is, is apparently the term used for the court of the Gentiles. There you go. I wonder yeah. why we don't call it the court of the foreigners then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. the The court of another race or another generation. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So you mentioned that. English Standard Version, I, I don't remember if the others do this. Yeah, King James does this as well. Just translate, well, King James is closer. Um, just translates 10 lepers and not 10 men who were lepers or 10 leprous men. Is there any significance to the men? I don't know. I don't think so. It, it, um, I don't know. It's, it does feel unnecessary. So if you're not looking at this in Greek... Right in Greek, it's that's how it is. Leprous men, or lepers men. Um, yeah, I mean, the only thing I could imagine th- there does seem to be this. I, I had actually did a little bit of reading on again this morning about these, you know, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of Israel, or the court of Israel, the court of, of men, whatever it is. You know, there is this distinction that is made not only between Gentiles or 
foreigners and Jews, but also between Jewish men and women, and mm-hmm. then again between Jewish men and priests, and then again between priests and the high priest. So there is this, um, you know, kind of uh, narrowing or um, discrimination that comes in the temple until you get to finally the Holy of Holies. And I don't know if, you know, he's a man, but he's less than a Jewish woman because mm. he's a foreigner. I, I don't know. I don't think that's really there. I, I think it's just probably an idiomatic way of speaking. Okay. Now, is this an instance where Jesus is erasing all distinctions? Kind of like how moderns look at uh, Galatians 3 or 4? <laughs> I, I mean, I think there is a sense in that, right? Galatians 3 does do that. The gospel does actually remove distinctions. In Christ, there, there actually is neither male nor female, right? The most foundational distinction of humanity is erased in some sense in Christ that we all stand before him. You know, he, he's no respecter of persons. With regard uh, to salvation. With regard to salvation. And, and there is that in this when he says, you know, to the leper, your faith has saved you. Does the ESV translate that as saved? I didn't no. listen. On. No, it says has as made well. you well. Yeah. God, yeah. that's so annoying. I know. I mean, particularly for this, that? because they were all cleansed. Yes. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. I think especially in this one. Um, I do too. It's, it's, it's super clear that he's not referring to just the fact that he was made well. Uh, right, because is, it's not like their unbelief faith. made the nine well. Right. <laughs> right. The nine don't have any faith. They, they weren't made well by faith. So, mm-hmm. right. What's the difference? They're yeah. all well. I know this is probably the most egregious um, yeah. mistranslation of this particular phrase. And I but think I always you could make it. a case Why don't they that, just do it the right way? Yeah. I, I think you could make then a case that this is the, the uh, uh, touchstone for all the other times that word pops up in, with regard to a miracle. Good. Yeah, I like that. The the New King James also has your faith has made you well. Mm-hmm. Well, our preachers have made a lot of hay over that over the years. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's that goodness yeah. of it. King James has, has <laughs> hath made the whole. So that's uh, better. That's yeah. better. It's more encompassing. Um, but it's but still, when we hear when we hear wholeness yeah. or wellness, we only think uh, I mean there's there's a sense in which it's not wrong because you you could you know, wellness, both physical and spiritual. So you could go that, you know, you can go that route. Um, but but this is specifically that all of them were cleansed. So it's, it can't yeah, just be the physical. all of them were physical. physically whole. Yeah. Right. So there's a distinction. Okay. Um, yeah, there is. Uh, I think there's some, uh, you know, this is, I don't use this text for Thanksgiving, by the way. Okay. In the in the in TLH, I don't know about in the historic lectionary in LSB or the one year lectionary, but in TLH, this was assigned for Thanksgiving. It is. And I just, also. that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, only because it's just too close to this Sunday. Yeah. And um, and also, I don't think this is really a text about about Thanksgiving so yeah. much. But we so always anyway, use the I Harvest think, Festival reading. Yeah, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I think they, that, that that works better. And I mean, you know, it's not like Thanksgiving, the day of national Thanksgiving is, you know, I mean, kind of coming out of the Civil War or something, isn't mm. it? I can't remember the history now. Didn't Abraham Lincoln and then others proclaim a day of national Thanksgiving? Well, I thought, 
It was earlier than that. I think it's codified. Well, maybe it was. Well, anyway, I mean, I'm I'm a hundred percent in favor of having Holy Communion as a as a way of celebrating a day of national Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm annoyed with my members who don't come to Thanksgiving service. Mm. Uh, and they don't, by the way. So if they're listening to this, this can be their rebuke. Because I, I what, what look, if you're going to have a big glutton fest, <laughs> I mean, I'm not against that, uh, it, you know, in some ways for the kind of world's observation. But I mean, we ought to be, if we're going to, if we're going to engage in Thanksgiving, it sure ought to be Thanksgiving to God. Yeah. Right. I only and, observe a uh, prayer office. Anyway. Oh, do you really? Yeah. You don't have the Eucharist on Thanksgiving? No. You should. <laughs> so there you go. I did. <laughs> I did early on, and uh, I changed my mind. I I thought, you know, oh. um, we should devote this to specific prayers for ourselves and for our nation, and let's just make it a prayer office. So that's what that's okay. what I decided to do. Well, there you go. Well, I I mean it's because a matter I of to distinguish I, no, it from a, all of the yeah, Sundays. Yeah, I get it. yeah, yeah. I mean, but I do. You know, it's obviously a matter of personal piety, and I guess if you didn't grow up going to church on Thanksgiving, maybe. But it just seems to me like it's kind of. I feel like it's for me personally. It's kind of an important. It's an important day. Mm-hmm. So anyway, okay. So anyway, but I'm glad I don't have this text to have to preach on, you know, six weeks after I just preached on it. But uh, there is some fun stuff in here, obviously. Um, Okay. So they stood at a distance. They lift up their voices. Uh, I mean, most of, I think the folks listening understand the ceremonies revolving around the leprous people. You know, they had to be in their own colony and, they always had to announce that they were unclean. That's not what they're doing here, though. They're not announcing uncleanness. They're asking for mercy. Right, right. Is there they anything are, significant to that? Well, I think it's a. Uh, I think it's interesting because this "lift up their voices" is an expression of praise, mm. right? And there is the sense in which asking God for mercy, like Hosanna, or asking God to save us, is is actually a Hebraic word of praise. Mm-hmm. And of course we recognize this kind of liturgically. If you if you look at the liturgical resources that describe the history of the liturgy and so forth, the Kyrie is a song of praise. Um, I know that always like strikes our people as because it seems like a point of humiliation or a point or, or a point of kind of repentance. Mm-hmm. But we don't kneel for it. Right in the mm-hmm. in the in the divine service, it's it plays a different, little bit different role in the prayer offices, but in the divine service, it's part of it's it's a word of praise because asking God to be merciful is asking Him to be true to Himself is actually confessing right this mercy that endures forever. It's not like mm-hmm. we're begging God for mercy, uncertain of what He might do. Yeah. Right, we we fully expect so so there is kind of this that they're praising God. Right in asking Jesus for mercy, or at least they should be, but mm-hmm. but of course it, it seems as though they're not. Nine of them, at least, maybe all ten, that really they just they just maybe actually want food yeah. or money, right? Um, and uh, and so they don't really know necessarily. And that might be why they don't use Kyrie, right? They yeah. don't say Lord. It's nicely translated as Master. Um, and yet Jesus receives it, right? Mm-hmm. This this 
I, I think we have to say this is an imperfect prayer. I mean, in some sense, I suppose all Christian prayers are imperfect on this side of glory, but I'm not sure this is really a faithful prayer. I think they're really primarily just asking for, hey, we're hungry, do something for us, something nice. They're not asking for divine mercy, I don't think. But he gives them divine mercy in response to it. And that's part of the reason, like, I don't even think that the nine are probably on their way to the temple. I mean, you know, who knows? But he says, right, he doesn't give them the answer they want. Right? They say, have mercy, and he doesn't say, yes, I will have mercy on you, or I will give you money, I will heal you. That, he doesn't say any of that. He just says, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, that could very much be taken and probably would have been taken in a normal context, especially if you don't have faith, is, well, uh, here's what you need to do to get, you know, to be healed and to be right with God. But but the reality is you don't go to show yourselves to the priests until you are healed. You know, well, that who, whole, the Leviticus 14 thing. So it, it's almost like, you know, they say, have mercy on us. And this could go show yourselves to the priests could be like, um, you know, I, it, it's almost like, okay, so I have a guy show up here at the church door, right? And he wants, he wants money for a hotel room and, you know, whatever. And he's got his story about why. And if I say, well, go to the police station and ask them to help you. Yeah. You know, why would I say that? Because <laughs> I think that the police will do a background check on them and a warrant search, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like, well, if you're righteous and you really need a hotel room, go to the police station. Yeah. And, you know, if, you're, if you really are deserving of mercy and help, well, then you need to be clean already and then you need to go and then be identified as such, right? Yeah. But that would be the assumption, like, you're, you need the priestly action to declare yourself clean. To be yeah, after clean. you're clean, though. The priest doesn't clean you. He only recognizes your clean, cleanliness. Right. So, th- so, I mean, I think that's the, that is the question. W- would they be going to the priests living in their area, or would they be going to the temple? Because, you know, the priests don't have any land. Samaritan temple? Of course, yeah. Right. No, and right. Did they, were they going to of- the same place? Or maybe they're not going anywhere, is what I'm saying. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're just, just like, they okay, went. screw you. They went. They, they left. They yeah. departed Jesus. It doesn't say where they're going. So he know, says, go to Jesus. Kinda, I, no, I don't think that, I think that's reading too much into that. Well, I think the assumption anyway. is based on Jesus gives them, how- gives them a direction. And as they went, they were cleansed. Okay. This assumes that they understood the command as mercy in some sense, that he wasn't just, right? In other words, if my if my if my son comes to me and says, "Give me a cookie," and I say, "Go to the garage," <laughs> right? Because you didn't finish your chores. Um, you know, it, he he might go, but he doesn't see this as a promise to get a cookie, or he might anyway. Oh well, anyway, it, it, he doesn't give them an answer that is immediately discernible as mercy. Sure, I will. I would say that. Um, and and do whatever you think they're, that doing, they're living they, they, in the same leprous colony, or do you think ten? Yeah, do you think one is on one side of the border and one's on the other, or the nine are on the oh, other? Oh, I never thought. I've always assumed they were. Living I have too, and I'm just questioning the assumption. Yeah, good question. I would. I would. I don't know. I. It seems like they're presented as as a group as they comrades. Are. I mean, yeah. they cry out together, they go together, and they're healed together. Mm-hmm. And then they're divided by faith. 
right? Yeah. So so anyway, they 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 leave. They're all cleansed, right? The other thing is, we don't say like who knows how far they went before they're cleansed or before they realize it. Um, you know, I mean, does it? Do it I've sometimes thought it might be so immediate that all they've really done is turned around and taken one step. It and that would make this interesting. That if this all takes place, if in other words, if the nine actually hear the rebuke, no, that would be still good. They're still in earshot. They're still in earshot. So it's like they take one step, they're healed. It's it's instantly obvious because all of a sudden they feel good and they can look at their arms and stuff. And then one of them, the Samaritan, turns around immediately you know, takes two steps, falls on his face, glorifies God. And then Jesus is like, well, where are the nine? Well, they're standing right there. And, mm-hmm. and, and they, and yet in, even in response to the rebuke and the obvious healing, they just kind of sulk away, taking what they can get, but unwilling to worship Jesus. Yeah. I wonder if anyway. we could make any assumptions about that with the grammatical structure, because it's the infinitive, no. um, Genitive absolute with an or genitive with an affinity, no, it's, infinitive or an accusative it? with an affinitive. So I'm in sorry, the act of right. them to go away, that's right, that's right. And yeah. it happened in the act of them to go away. So yeah, I don't. Does that indicate immediacy? Immediacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it. I don't think it indicates anything. I mean, it could have been a day later. I mean, as I mean, it, you know, it's a how long of a journey is it from there to Jerusalem? If they're on their way to the temple in Jerusalem, if they understood that command and decided to fulfill it, in some sort of hope that by the time they'd get there, they'd be cleansed. I mean, you know, it could have been, I think, any time in that whole period. They could have got all the way to the temple. Maybe that's why the nine didn't come back. You know, they could have been right on the edge of the temple, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Well, why would I go back to Jesus now? I'm here. I'm doing what he told me to do." And the nine's like, well, I'm a Samaritan. This temple kind of sucks for me. I might as well go back to Jesus. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of possibilities with this. It's, it is a, I mean, the language is ambiguous. So, because there is something to that, right? The fact that the, the temple's not so great. I mean, they're all united in their leprosy and in their desire for mercy, whatever that means. And then they all get healed. But the nine have a place at the temple, so I mean, you know, a more intimate yeah, place. Yeah, I get that. Um, is there is there a sense that the nine didn't see it? I I think they have to see it. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, they don't it, see it with faith. Because it says in fifteen, there. but one of them, yeah. seeing that he was healed, right, turned, turned around. Yeah, because he sees with actual insight. I, I don't think that that means that the others didn't know they were healed. What, uh, but he actually recognizes the source of the healing. So th- that's the other thing. What, what do these nine, I, I don't see how they cannot know. I mean, I don't think they're just thinking they still have leprosy when they don't. Um, but what do they think was the source of the healing? This, this was likely not their only attempt. So, you know, they probably were engaging in folk remedies. They were probably, you know, taking dietary supplements from Amway. I don't, I mean, you know, they're, they're engaging in things, maybe yeah. seeing doctors and you know, this, I, I don't think that they're, again, when they cry for mercy, I don't think it's really a faithful, it's not a confession of Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh, who's come to heal us. I think it's just kind of desperation. And so I think that's part of, they might think they healed themselves, you know, or somebody else healed them, but well, I think they got to know they're healed. To connect this back, though, to 
the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the tax collector didn't know. <laughs> right. Right. He didn't see. This, nothing changed. Right. That's right. No, he doesn't know. You mean the Pharisee didn't know that he, w- that he wasn't going home justified. The tax collector knew he went home justified. Uh, but nothing – I remember when we were talking about this, you're like, there was no oh, outward – Yeah, that's right. But that – what? Because there was no outward. But this is outward. It this is. This is completely outward. Yeah. But, so, I mean, there's – I don't know how they could not know. I had leprosy. Now I don't. Leprosy is not some, you know, it's not like, it's not like a headache that comes and goes throughout the day <laughs> and you don't realize it's faded away. <laughs> this is a much more debilitating, right, disease. Yeah. That, I'm just, that's, that's I'm just painful. trying to press this just to see. <laughs> okay. So they knew, they saw just like the other guy. They, the yeah, foreigner. but they don't see it. Right. They don't see it with faith. They don't recognize the source. They don't recognize or are unwilling to admit, right, the divinity and goodness of Jesus in Samaria. Mm-hmm. And this might be also a kind of ethnic, ethnic thing. Mm-hmm. This didn't happen in the right place. They might care more about the priests in Jerusalem than they do, you know, and the kind of status quo and getting connected back to the community that they want to be in mm-hmm. rather than the community that Jesus wants to connect them to, yeah. right? If you go back to Jesus and worship him, what community are you in, right? Those That of the disciples. If you go to Jerusalem and the priests, you know, kill the birds and all that stuff, and, you know, you get connected back to your family. Mm-hmm. And what's our favorite, what's our favorite idol in this world after ourselves? Our families. Yeah. Right? So, but they know these, they know Jesus's name. So they've heard about him, right? Yeah. So had Herod. Yeah, I guess what what I'm saying is, so they had heard about what he can do. Right. So they're asking for something. They know what they're asking for. Okay, it could be. I, I mean, they, they've heard he's a, a miracle worker, sure. Yeah. Or he's some sort of itinerant preacher. He has a, but I mean, you know, they, they could still, they, you know, Judas has mm-hmm. a money bag. I mean, you know, there could be this expectation yeah. that a wonder that a wondering teacher would actually, you know, share some of this wealth and sure. almsgiving and stuff. Uh, so, how does this um, how does this relate to like Romans one verses eighteen and following, where you know it talks about how the difference between pagans and Christians is that they recognize the, where these good gifts come from. the The pagans. They know God's power. They know His righteousness. They know His uh, His nature by the physical things in creation. And the difference yeah. is, is you know, they're grateful for the things that He's made, but they don't give thanks to the one who made them. Right. How how is how is that going on here? Well, I, I mean, that's why I don't. That's why I've never been super thrilled about this as a Thanksgiving text. I think, um, I mean, Thanksgiving Day text because I think that. This text isn't really about isn't really about gratitude most directly, mm-hmm. right? Because again, right, the pagans are grateful for the stuff, but they don't recognize the giver. I mean, right. they worship creation instead of the creator, so they're like, "Yeah, you know, intercourse is wonderful. <laughs> you know, f- alcohol is delicious." But you know, so it's not that they're not thankful for stuff, for pleasure, mm-hmm. for beauty, even in some sense, but they're not thankful for the truth. And they and they most certainly don't recognize the giver. And here, uh, I don't think there's any reason to think that these nine are ungrateful that they're healed. It's just that they don't recognize the source. And mm-hmm. and I mean, they don't. Re- if they did, they would return to him. 
not just to give thanks, but to glorify him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, to get more, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, I mean, this is what we do. This is why we come to church every week because we want more. Mm -hmm. This leper, the, the Samaritan goes back to Jesus because he wants more. He wants to be with Jesus. Jesus is the one that gave him this. Why would he go to Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to go where. All right. So when yeah. when Jesus says, "Rise and go your way," uh, what does he do? Does he go back to his home, or does he stay with Jesus? Oh, I think he stays with Jesus. I think his way. <laughs> yeah, I think his way is to follow Jesus. Okay. I don't think. I think that this is. Our, I mean, I again, you know, but I. I don't think this is okay. I'm done with you. Go back to your family. You don't need the priests. I think your way, right? Our way is the way of the cross, is the way of Jesus. And he goes with them to Jerusalem. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And I think that's a delicious, I love that because, right? I love that the way of Jesus is our way. It's his way. It's not like he's choosing his own path. Yeah, I always wanted to go to Rome and be a ship. No, right? It's not like, you know, this is, you know, self-actualization, find his path. I mean, the path is laid out before him. Yeah. It, well, I mean, the Greek is Anastas. So I know, rise. Rise yeah. and go. He it's hard not go, to though. hear that word rise. Yeah. Oh, well, let's see. Does it say? I thought it had the word uh, hodos no. on here. What verse are we on? It doesn't in the Byzantine text. Uh, I don't know about Nestle Island. I don't have Nestle Island. I have the Byzantine text also. What does King James uh, say? Where, what, what verse number is it? 19. Uh, 19. All right, he, he said to him, right, well, okay, so they're probably getting it out of this peruo, which, you know, is this like journey word mm-hmm. rather than, um, what's the other word? Uh, well, whatever the other word is, right? The, this this peruomai has this idea of journey written into it. Mm-hmm. Just makes a huge deal about that. Maybe not in this section, but throughout uh, his commentary. And I think mm-hmm. he's right. But they don't so translate that word. earlier on. Let's go show yourselves to the priests. No, no, I know. Go, you know, go on the 11. way to the priests. Well, you have it also in 11 that he's on a journey toward Jerusalem, mm-hmm. passing through the midst of Samaria. And then does, oh yeah, they're in 14. Yeah, go, journey. Uh, well, anyway, I don't know. I don't know you, why so they you have think way. He, so you uh, think he's not heading back home to his mom and dad? I don't uh, think so. I mean, maybe he does, you know, uh, physically, but figuratively or spiritually in some sense, right? Mm-hmm. He's on the, he's, he's, in, he's going the way of the cross from now on. He's not leaving Jesus ever again. I mean, maybe he will physically, obviously, you know, because Jesus will leave him physically mm-hmm. according to, you know, the state of um, his, his presence changes. But, you know. All right, let's talk about the fivefold use. Yeah. Okay. So comfort. Comfort. You started with the last one. Uh, so uh, I think- uh, Sorry. Faith, Teaching. That's all right. Faith. <laughs> that's all right. Cons- <laughs> co- consolation. So uh, faith saves even when the world hates you, right? So, I mean, this guy, his, he's still a Samaritan. <laughs> I mean, he's still stuck with that classification and with the prejudices and with the, with the difficulties that's going to bring. And- you know, just everything goes with it. But look, your faith saves you. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we learn to really, this is the way that we learn to suffer evil in this world and to identify with this, right? What do these other things matter? So, mm-hmm. well, it gives you, it gives you a hope and then a place to belong to. Yeah, right. A hope and a home. 
yeah, who are you really? Are you a Samaritan? No, you're a, you're a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's the consoling thing, I think. Okay. Teaching? Uh, well, you've, you could tie this, I think, nicely to the worship in spirit and truth, you know, the, the woman at the well in Samaria. Yep. Um, and, and to seeing the sort of, you could kind of trace through the Samaritans that worship. Um, you also have the other leper, uh, who's a Galilean, so I'm, but you know, you, you do have this, um, anyway, worshiping in spirit and truth as the fulfillment of the Torah rather than as distinction from it. And that sort of, there's kind of a reproof or a correction that I think could take place along with that. Um, and that would be that sometimes our people are sort of dismissive of the Old Testament law. And Jesus does endorse Leviticus 14, which is the whole process by which, you know, there those who those who are healed of le- leprosy are recognized through a very elaborate and long ritual so that they can be restored to their families mm-hmm. and you know this guy gets out of that right that's just sort of unnecessary for him um but that doesn't mean that Jesus is dismissing that stuff right that there he, he did give these things to teach us about himself mm-hmm. and and to show us the sort of goodness of that so so Worship spiritually. Yeah. So do you think that, um, you've already said that he stays with Jesus, but do you think there's a sense in which he, he, Jesus says, rise, go your way, and then he goes and shows himself to the priest? I doubt it. Yeah. I, it's possible. Because he already showed himself just, to the priest. Right. <laughs> I mean, there is, not that, Lord, I mean, I'm not, I don't go? want to belittle, right, we don't belittle, we don't belittle uh, you know, Leviticus 14, but we also don't follow it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we use it for is to see where God reveals himself, right? How he shows us, you know, through figures, right? The birds are figures, the blood is a figure, the water is a figure, the priest himself is a figure, the community is a figure. I mean, all of that, all of that stuff is is demonstrating to us what the problem of sin is that brings death and how the only way we can escape it is by sacrifice, by blood, by water, by the oil that's put on their thumb and big toe and someplace else. Mm-hmm. What is the other place? I can't remember. Tongue, not tongue. Did I say tongue? Big ear, toe. Ear lobe. Oh, ear. Ear. Thumb, that's it. Big ear. toe. Yeah, and there's and you know this idea that all of us has to be pure, like what we hear, our ears have to be purified to hear, you know, our our toes have to be purified to walk, right, to live, and then you know our hands, our thumb has to be purified mm-hmm. for our acts of service and how we live in this world. So you you got this kind of fullness thing there. While we're not following the ceremonial law, we, we absolutely recognize that it's been given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in mercy, and it shows us his goodness, and it's fulfilled in Christ. It's not destroyed. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, sometimes we look at it with uh, a little bit too flippantly. Okay. But I don't think, but that being said, I'd, I can't imagine him going to the priests, right? He doesn't need the priests. He has the great high priest, and he doesn't need all that ritual, um, the ritual is informative, but it's not necessary because, mm-hmm. again, you have the actual anti-type and fulfillment in Christ. Yeah. So, do you have other doctrine, other teaching, and reproof that goes with that? Yeah, I think you could talk about you could talk about both in a you know Eucharist uh, Thanksgiving, 
and I, I don't mean here what God gives to us, but the actual giving of thanks and doxa, you know, glorifying God or praising God, mm-hmm. and to, to recognize that this is the end or the telos of man, right? This is what we were created for. And to be truly human is to hear God's word and to respond to it in faith with praise. And then you, you mm-hmm. have the opportunity here to talk about what biblical praise is, which is not some sort of ecstatic, you know, emotional experience um, in myself, uh, which is, you know, kind of how it's used with what's typically called praise music and so forth. But, but you know, as this actual confession of faith, it is joyful, absolutely, but it's also, it's also humble and reverent, right? Yeah. And it's, it's confessing historical realities in the history of Israel that are applied to the one who's praising God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could think of things like the biblical canticles or the Psalms or pretty much the whole Bible, mm-hmm. right? And it's <laughs> So there, there's an opportunity there, I think. Um, so what's the reproof that of, goes along with that? I don't have a, they didn't have a reproof for that one. Well, maybe just the Romans, eight, uh, Romans 1, 18 and following. The just recognition yeah, sure. of the good things without the giver, right? And this idea that, and so I do have, I did have a corresponding training for that one. Mm, okay. <laughs> so that and so sort of along with defining praise and thanksgiving, but also then to talk about that we need to actually actively discipline ourselves to be people of true gratitude to God for the things in front of us, right? Rejoicing always. Right, uh, and uh, I think that this is something that we could, that our people could use help with. I mean, I know I could use help with it, right? Because we like to complain, and we like to talk about the things we hate, and we like to, right? Those are sort of easier emotions to embrace and the like. Mm-hmm. But, but to learn to actually be mindful and aware of God's goodness and the things that He's providing to us all the time, um, mm-hmm. you know that. And I think you know one of the most the most beautiful. Christian ceremonies, which is not in the Bible, is to say prayers before meals. Yeah. You know, just to recognize that God gave this. And I, I've probably told this story before, but when my oldest son was pretty little, one time we had popcorn, like, you know, in front of the television set after dinner, and he wanted to say a prayer before it. And, and I laughed at him. Yeah. And uh, I seemed ridiculous, pray for pop, you know. And, but it was later, you know, upon reflection, not, you know, like the next day, I'm just sort of thinking about it. And, and I just thought, you know, that was actually, that was the, I should not have laughed at him. Yeah. And, and I should have endorsed it. We should, I should have prayed, but he wanted to pray. We should have. And I did mm-hmm. tell him that later. And we did sometimes after that, because I mean, he was responding, popcorn's a gift from God, mm-hmm. you know, and for me to think that was childish is the sophistication of the demons, I mean, that's childlike faith. And he was right, right? Of course, popcorn's a gift from God. Where else would it come from? Mm-hmm. And um, to, so to, to actually uh, develop this and, and to consider it and to practice saying thank you to God, not just to people, not just as a matter of politeness, but, you know, just being an awareness. Um, instead of focusing on our aches and pains, you know, all the goodness around us. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the word in Greek for content can also be translated as delight. Do you think there's some oh. something there that you know we could search for that? Um, well, I'm thinking of like Second Corinthians twelve 
I think it's verse 10, where Paul says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, sufferings, beatings, so on and so forth. Um, but that word can be del- that he delights in those things, uh, that we nice. need to learn to delight. That contentment, I think in our ears, contentment thinks as we think of as settling. Yeah. Um, so maybe we need to speak more about delighting in what God has given, and that's what yeah. makes us content, maybe like as it. a correction or a training. Right. Instead of just, because content sounds to us sort of neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, like you said, what, what was the word? Acceptance or, or settling. settling? Yeah. Like, okay, well, this is, I guess this is what I get. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. to go along with, um, we think of it in t- when we think of it as settling, like now we have to not be ambitious for things, but right. actually what he's, right. what the Bible teaches us to be ambitious for the right things, to delight in yes. those things and go after those. So maybe that's right. another correction, like to channel your ambition. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. To, to, well, again, like I love this, the leper goes back for more. <laughs> Right, he's unembarrassed to to do that. You know, it's not like he's being greedy. It's that he loves the thing. He's a man after God's own heart. He loves yeah. the things of God. He wants to be with those things. And it's mm-hmm. that's, you know, there's a way for that to spin out of control. The flesh to spin that out of control into kind of you know ambition for oneself. But he who desires the office of bishop desires a good thing. Yeah, you know, there is a there is a godly ambition. Um, absolutely, it, mm-hmm. it is. It's a dangerous. Um, emotion, but you know, so is anger, and so is love. Right? I mean, these things all. Yeah. Well, all they're not the in themselves truth. sins, but they can be an occasion for it. Yeah. Or and they like can money be, yeah. or wealth or technology. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I think they're a little more almost deadly, dangerous than that. Right. That it's very difficult to engage in righteous anger without slipping into any kind of self righteousness or reveling in it. It's very difficult to engage in, you know, uh, appreciation and love of the marriage bed without slipping into lust. Mm. Uh, you know, and I, I'm not sure we're even on this side of glory. We're not really capable of not slipping at least some into it, right? Mm-hmm. All of our good works are tainted to some degree by sin. But that sometimes has been taught, I think, to us in such a way as to denigrate the goodness of the things or the goodness of the good work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I can just remember, I've heard so many times, you know, this like idea that, you know, somebody who gives a million dollars to, you know, for a new church bell, right? Well, you know, his pride is caught up in that and he wants his name on the wall. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's there's truth in that, that there's pride, but, you know, the bell is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not the only motivation he has. I mean, if he's a Christian, right. so he's got some mixed. He's got some mixed, you know, motivation and and responses, and he has to deal with that as we all do. Mm-hmm. But the bell is still a good. Th- I mean, you know, it's not maybe a bell isn't the best example, but you know, there's still a goodness in the good work, and it wasn't only driven yeah. by greed. It was also tempered by faith and informed by the scripture yeah. and a desire of love for neighbor. So. We don't just throw it away because it wasn't perfect. So, so here, um, there's a uh, a podcast that I've been listening to a little bit. He's like a neuroscientist out of Stanford. Um, right now, his name escapes me. Uh, I've sent you a link of his before. Oh yeah, I haven't listened to it. you just you just once and like less than a week ago. 
Yeah. Um, I feel that was a, re- you sounded very rebukey to me just there. I did not mean it to be rebukey. <laughs> In case you remember the name. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. It sounded a little bit like, well, I've said this to you, but you ignored me like usual. It's Andrew Huberman. That's why it just came to me. Andrew, Andrew Huberman. Anyway, he talks about, um, you know, having a kind of a growth mindset versus kind of a static mindset. And, and, and he says something to the effect of, if you want to foster growth, like to do difficult things and to chase after, have a, a good kind of ambition, when you praise someone, you praise them for their effort. You don't praise them by giving them a label like, oh, you're so smart. You're so good. Uh, you're so generous. You, pra- you praise the effort put into it. The You did a good job or something to that effect. You worked really hard. Um, and that fosters people to want to do more for the praise of you did good work not you're this kind of person. And hmm. so is there a sense in which we could talk about this? He cleanses, I mean, um, Jesus praises not the fact that he's cleansed and righteous, but he praises what the work, he, the effort he put in. You returned oh, and gave really thanks. Oh, that's really good. So is there something, yeah, so is there a, is there a sense in which we we should give some sort of pastoral, spiritual counsel to say, to praise people for the efforts they put into these things, not just you're a pious man. And the same yeah, thing when we or, receive large gifts, uh, you know, we, we don't say, Oh, you know, you're pious and this is very generous. But we talk about, um, you know, the effort that they put into making the church beautiful or, yeah. or and the, and the, good that the people of God. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I was just, you know, uh, their works will follow them. Mm. You know, so I mean, I wonder if uh, that's a great. I wonder if we could apply this to say, like, we're not praising people for being forgiven, right? Not pra- right, but but uh, I mean, you know, we praise Jesus because they're forgiven. Mm-hmm. We praise people because they gave money for a bell, or we praise people because they teach Sunday school, or we praise people because they came to church. Yeah. I mean, you know, we actually are praising well, because they believe. They <laughs> because they believe, yeah. Right, that they work, little, and work yeah. at that faith. Right. Mm-hmm. So we, but I, I, you know, it's funny you, when you were talking, I've heard this in the negative uh, sense quite a few times where when you're having, particularly like in marriage, right, when you're upset with what your spouse has done it's destructive if if you're like oh my my wife uh you know she's always late that's because she doesn't care right or whatever so mm-hmm. I, I i assign a motive to her or i give her a label she is a an uncaring person mm-hmm. and when you do that that's really destructive of the relationship yeah uh where so like what you have to do or you have to try to do so kind of it's the it's the sort of same thing. You have to instead you have to name the behavior kind of distinct from the person, mm-hmm. and then sort of find in some ways sometimes an excuse, putting the best construction on it. Right. So in other words, you know, we she was late or whatever whatever the complaint is. Right. She was late uh, because you know uh, things got in her way, mm-hmm. uh, and and so you know what can we do to sort of help this? Not because she didn't want to be on time, or you know what I mean? Yeah, but so, I mean, I'm just like in the context here. Jesus isn't concentrating on the fact that 
No, I agree. Yeah. He's a Samaritan and a foreigner. It's like, this is what you did. Right. And I think, though, in a negative way, he does respond to what the nine didn't do. Mm hmm. But it didn't return. Behavior. Yeah, that's what I mean. They're both they're both behavior. They're not they're not just oh the Samaritans good the yeah. the Jews are bad. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a label. It's actually the behavior. So yeah, that's 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 interesting. I like it. I don't know how, how to preach on it, but well, well, it can be in the background. It can come up in other places, and I don't know. Yeah, the I mean, it's a ways away. We, if you're <laughs> if you're trying to tap into godly ambition, like to chasing after the right things, you talk about the 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 efforts put forward in doing this and doing that instead of uh and praising those efforts like this is good you know even he talks about even terms if you failed in carrying it out like say you take a test Mm. and you know that this person put in a lot of time to study uh you you say you, you can say i was really impressed by the effort you put into studying for this, even though the outcome didn't turn out the way you wanted. And that praise of the effort actually creates a desire to continue to put forth good effort. Yeah. I I mean, I do that with myself. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, I'll say like, okay, you know, we had a visitor to church and I called him on Monday and I visited him on Thursday and he didn't join our church, right? And I'm like, yeah, but I did the right thing, right? I did mm-hmm. my job. Yeah. And even even though the results weren't, you know, pr- profitable, you know, in, in that sense, I'm I'm happy if I did my job. What I what I can't stand is, you know, which has happened sadly, right? I didn't call the visitor, and he didn't join our church. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, ah, uh, you know. Or and I and I actually feel better if I called on the visitor and he doesn't join our church than if I don't call on a visitor and he joins our church. Yeah, I mean, I, I so I mean, I feel that. I mean, I I kind of do that to myself with all sorts of things. I'm like, well, that didn't go very well, but I did what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Anyway, so, that entire episode on like applying growth okay. mindset or something. It's just Is that really, the one you sent me? Yeah, I think so. It, it's okay. just a really fascinating thing um, that uh, over time, the ones who are praised for their effort, they outperform those who are praised hmm. as being smart. And they will even seek out more difficult things than those who are told they're smart. The people who are told, uh. like, given labels, they will seek the least um, difficult route to get the label again. I wonder, does he talk about athletics? He does. In this regard? Does it, it applies there too? At, yeah, everywhere. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're a natural, yeah, then you're weaker. I, I've seen this that, right, people that are, uh, it's got to be related. I've seen this sort of people that are told they're naturals become frustrated much more easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get back to uh, the, the fivefold okay. use. I, there we go. I got another doctrine. Okay. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that answers to, to hear an answer to prayer requires faith. So this is great that, uh, right, they, they make this request, Lord or Master, have mercy on us. And he doesn't say, okay. He tells them something, you know, go. He doesn't tell them what is, what's going to happen or what he's going to do. Uh, and uh, I think that's, a, a, again, a kind of important, right? We ask for all sorts of things and we don't, 
see the results or necessarily get what we thought or understand what's happening, but we proceed with the confidence that God hears and answers and does what's good. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of boilerplate stuff, but it's it's worth repeating. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and would uh, you so you know would you bring up just the atonement too that he that all of them were cleansed, but only mm, one yeah, you know, ends up having faith. Yeah, only one actually receives the the real benefit of being cleansed because mm-hmm. the other the others just you know get sick again and die. I mean, they're dead; they're all dead. Mm-hmm. But the one that returned is not dead because whoever believes in Jesus never yeah. dies. Yeah, he's and so only one of them. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Um, that's great. That's a great connection. Yeah. So I mean, the only one, the only way to benefit from what Jesus does is by faith. And uh, yeah, we're just living, right? I mean. It seems like we don't get almost anything we pray for in the way that we pray for it. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, you know, we obviously we're we do pray, we continue to pray, and we believe that God hears and answers these and has commanded and promised to do this. But, you know, I mean, we ask for my goodness, you know. Yeah. We we ask for ridiculous things in some ways and without understanding and knowing. And yet we believe that these prayers are pleasing to God, that he does answer them. He's giving us what's best and he's showering us with blessings. So, mm-hmm. so to recognize that, you know, prayers aren't quite as straightforward as they seem at times. Yeah. Uh, you could certainly take this uh, opportunity to talk about what faith is, you know, kind yeah. of run through the peeper definition of, of faith. What is what is faith? What are the sort of different types of faith? What is saving faith? Because here, this is a, a sedes for saving faith. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, when I was young in the ministry, I never wanted to talk about faith because, so I can't even, I'm so embarrassed about Because myself. faith does not talk about itself. Correct. Or, or somehow I thought faith, if I talk about faith they're going to think faith is a work. And, um, you know, there's a sense, of course, in which faith is a work. But but anyway, but it, yeah, we the Bible talks about faith. So we need to talk about faith. And we need to learn, uh, you know, and Peeper's fantastic on this, mm-hmm. in my estimation, right? Yeah. You know, that he really does explore that. And uh, Gerhardt does too, um, you know, where they talk about, so, you know, some Faith dogma, is trust, faith as historical right. knowledge, faith, faith as ascent. Exactly. Right, all those things. So, so to 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 look at that and to, mm-hmm. you know that that's and then you could you know just very much unpack you know what sort of faith does the lep, does the Samaritan have? Mm-hmm. How is it different from the unbelief? You know, and so mm-hmm. forth. Well, and you perhaps you could even use that time to help your people diagnose those with whom they come into contact throughout the week. Are these people who deny the historicity of Jesus? Are these people who know that Jesus existed, but they don't assent to the truths therein? Uh, or do these people uh, have both of these, but they just don't trust it? Where, where yeah. are they lacking in faith in this in this regard? Maybe you could do something like that yeah, as, you could, as like sure. training in righteousness for this is how you bear witness. You're trying to diagnose yeah. what the what what the stumbling block is there, with regard to faith. Yeah, yeah. So you could actually help your neighbors mm-hmm. with this, right? Yeah. Instead of just pretending like everything's okay because it says in God we trust on the dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> We're all, all all good people, or all all the people that I like at work must be Christians. Yeah, you know? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of thing, which we're guilty of, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe you could times. even um, say uh, there's a way for you to give praise to God when you go to work in that when they ask you what you did this weekend, you don't say, I went to my kid's baseball game or football game, but I went to church and this is what pastor talked about. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. Nobody ever says that, do they? <laughs> yeah. I was just asked by the dental hygienist yesterday, what'd you do this weekend? And it never even occurred to me to say I went to church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pastor and I went to church and this is what I talked about. I, yeah, that's terrible that I never, I mean, I, you know, of course that wasn't what she was really asking. Nope. But, but so what? I think that's a great, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. That's a brilliant idea. What'd you mm. do this weekend? I wonder how long they'll keep asking you that question. <laughs> That's a great idea. I love it. I mean, all it right, could, I got one more. It could be any of those things. Like, you know, maybe you had a men's sure. retreat, or maybe you had. It doesn't have to just be you went to church, but uh, you know, we had a church picnic, and this is what we did. And I just use it as an opportunity. They asked you, "This is what I did." Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it could even be, you know, it could even be we're having, you know, we, we had family devotions and, you know, my kid said this funny but insightful thing. Yeah. Or, you know, because that happens it pretty regularly. All the time. Really. And those are kind of endearing stories, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love that idea. I can't, I'm, I'm just ashamed of myself for never once answering that question in that sort of way. Mm -hmm. I don't think, maybe I have at some point, but. Certainly not deliberately. Okay. Certainly not with a dental hygienist. Or <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. I got one more under training. Okay. Um, that uh, the Samaritan leper, uh, like the Syrophoenician woman, resists jealousy, envy, bitterness, right? Uh, that she is, he is sort of willing to accept his lot in life and trust in the goodness of God, even though right? At least from a modern perspective, it's unjust. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's a great lesson in this. Uh, I've really become, I just only learned this about a year ago, and I, I just don't think it's widely known, but maybe I'm wrong, that the table of duties is very, is set up in terms of exercising authority and serving as a subordinate uh, right on through. So mm -hmm. right, what what uh, what do the hearers owe their pastor? Right, that's subordination. What are the duties of the pastors? Mm -hmm. That's exercising authority. Right, what do wives? What do husbands? What does the government? What do citizens? So this this dynamic of living, you know, in offices and always kind of suffering in a sense the subordination to imperfect humans, and you know and the like is just such is mm -hmm. so much a part of the Christian life that I don't think we've probably talked about explicitly very often. Yeah. And it, I think it would be helpful. So, and especially in our society where they're, they're talking about equality, right. In this whole, you know, kind of mm -hmm. social justice kind of thing and the way that that's presented um, there's right. What about Paul's thing about, you know, which is, the hardest thing practically, one of the hardest things Paul says for me is this, that he would prefer that people who aren't married just stay that way. <laughs> um, and this seems like ridiculous advice. I mean, and, uh, but, but there is, I think the principle behind that is right to, to, ex or even slaves to stay slaves. Yeah. Right. 
So, I mean, there is this kind of difficulty and 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 recognizing. Yeah. So, is, is there a sense? Is, a good then, is there a sense then in which you can say, how can you, um, how can you be entrusted with the greater things that is of submission to God if you cannot be entrusted to submit yeah. to the lesser things? Well, and it's and it's a it's again kind of related to this gratitude, right? Recognizing mm. God as the giver. If we're just constantly chafing, yeah. You know, if we can only talk about vocation as duty and law, like Wingren does, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we only sort of see this as something to be complained against and are just, you know, and refusing sort of biblical mm-hmm. ethics, you know, we'll just let the gospel take care of it. Yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous. That's, that's an, un, you know, that is just using, when people say that, all they're doing is they're just simply undermining the Bible, Right. Yeah. You know, if somebody asks you about sexual ethics and you say, we'll just let the gospel take care of that. That just means that you don't want to submit to the law that God has given in the Bible regarding sexual ethics. Right. And you don't want to have to talk about it. Or, you know, you, we, you, you just can't, you know, what, what, just almost everything. Right. We don't mm-hmm. just let the gospel take care of it. The, God has given us these things and informed us. And there is this kind of chafing under it that I think let the gospel take care of it is a kind of you know, pagan or old man desire to be free of the law. And that just is dismissing this, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. It, is that all you've got for the five uses? That's it. Not all. I mean, That's pretty that good. Work? I think. I, pretty, you, yeah, pretty, that was great. More thorough than usual. Yeah. This is wonderful. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Um, any idea what you're going to talk about and focus on or. Is it still no, too early? No, but I like to. I wrote down this c- content in the Bible means delight. I'm going to look that up. I think mm-hmm. I like that idea. So yeah. I don't know. What are you thinking? Um, I think I might want to go the route of the last training in righteousness that you talked about, resist jealousy, envy, bitterness, in line with the Romans 1 and really giving thanks. Mm. Um, so, but that might change. Yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> so that's how this works. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I really do think one of them. So I was surprised how I've been surprised. I've just kind of discovered it this summer, how a lot of our brothers don't have a real process for writing sermons. Hmm. They don't have a method, which is bad. They need it. Mm-hmm. But um, because so they're just like, like sitting down in front of a blank computer, they're reading the Bible, maybe translating it, and then they're just trying to write a sermon, and they just kind of no process. Yeah, that's not that's not productive. I mean, it can work sometimes, but it's they're making it harder, and they're creating pressure for themselves, and they're wasting time. But um, I forgot what I was talking about. Well, <laughs> but does that? I mean, is that something that? Oh, I know what I was going to say. You were taught. Go ahead. Were you taught a process, or did that come from your own? Does it have to come from yourself, in other words? Is that something that is taught well, in a school and, of experience? I, I mean, for me, for sure. I was a lunatic on this to my embarrassment that I would, when I early, and I found out other, I just found out this summer again, this at the same time, basically, other people are doing this. I would, my early years in the ministry, I was incapable of writing a sermon until I'd have to, I'd get up, uh, I'd, I'd spend, you know, all week trying to write a sermon and Saturday, and I'd finally just go to go home on Saturday afternoon. And then I would set my alarm for two or three o'clock in the morning for Sunday. And I'd get up and write a sermon then because mm-hmm. I needed that extreme pressure and deadline to try to get it done. 
Mm -hmm. That is not healthy. That's insane. And that was just because I just didn't know how to do it. And I finally just realized it was insane. I couldn't do it. I just learned to just work it like a job. And, but anyway, that's probably a story for another time. My, uh, uh, I think what they teach at the seminary is probably a good process. It's just that when you're taught that, you're so far removed from actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of so exaggerated at the seminary because, you know, they're trying to sort of make the most thorough process possible and and you don't really understand what they're talking about. So I think they do try to teach it. I just it just kind of it's like premarital instruction, you know, it's kind of wasted on the people you're talking to. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not leveling that as some kind of harsh criticism. I mean, it's just, I do premarital instruction. It's almost Mm -hmm. a complete waste of time. I mean, the people are delightful and they agree with everything I say and they love it, but they don't know what I'm talking about. They can't. Yeah. We almost need to teach homiletics a year after you've been in the ministry. Mm. But what I was going to say until we got on that was, because you were saying, you know, you don't know what you're going to talk about yet. It might change. I think that one of the most important things for process or method is time Yeah, to not do this on Friday and Saturday, the week you preach, but to have some distance. I, I like to have, I really like to be looking at a text and start to think about it. Not, not the sermon writing part, but the idea gathering, right? Or discovery, uh, you know, two weeks out so that it can work in my subconscious. Yeah. And that, you know, you have to have material for your subconscious to work, yeah. but, but to not rush this and have it, you know, sometimes you don't have any choice, but yeah. Right. I've so always it, tried to, to start, I've always tried to work a, a couple of weeks ahead, at least in the, the, the going through the text and generating ideas. Uh, I've always yeah. related it to chewing food. Like the more you chew your food, the more flavor comes out. Um, yeah. And, and that just takes time. So it does. It takes time. Yeah. And you, it doesn't, it doesn't take time. It doesn't necessarily, it's, it's more fruitful to spend a half hour on a Monday, two weeks before you're going to preach than it is to spend four hours on Saturday before you preach. Correct. Because, yeah. because, because you even though you've only spent a, a half hour active, say, or whatever the time is, Right. It's that. And it's this, uh, that awareness, you know what the text you're going to be preaching, you know, the story and the Mm -hmm. text in at least in a vague way. Right. I mean, not completely vague. And then, and then you're, again, you you can be thinking about it when you don't know you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Hey, I got to go. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Jason. Mm -hmm.